Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. Hi, John. Hi, Jason. <laughs> How's it going? We have no time to waste today. Well, are you sure we don't want to waste a little time? Uh, do you have any time to waste? No, we can go. We normally would do, we, we've been doing questions of some sort here before the show. Or reading emails. Or reading emails or doing some sort of, of nonsense before we get into this. But we have three issues to do today. Three huge three. Interlocking, they're not gonna absorbing take, issues. I don't think they're going to take that. They're going to take about twenty minutes because one of them is just a fight scene. I think we should we should probably have a question. All right, go ahead, ask me something. What form of transportation, Avengers transportation, would be your choice? Uh, Quinjet, Black Knight's horse, Hawkeye's sky sled, Captain America's motorcycle, Spider Man's Spider Mobile. <laughs> I was just going to say the Spider Buggy. I want Spider. Uh, Doctor Pym had that rover vehicle he flew around on the West Coast Avengers. Wasn't that just a sky sled that he put a face on? <laughs> and a and a roof, so he could. It wasn't a convertible. Um, I want Wonder Man's golf cart. What about? Does he have a golf cart when he's working on the movies. Iron Man's roller skates. Mm, that is a good one. Now I picked the sky sled. I like I like Hawkeye's sky sled. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what I'm using it for. If I'm using it to fight crime, the sky sled seems nice. If I'm using it to commute to work, it's the roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket powered roller skates. Come on. One of them probably has a Schwinn somewhere that I could ride to work. I don't know why. I um. I kind of like Rover because it's. I like the Quinjet because it gets me there quickly. Because the Quinjet, I don't know if you know this, can fly from New York to Brazil in like fifteen minutes. Yeah, plus it can fly down in like to Atlantis, and, and it can fly up into outer space. So the Quinjet's versatile, but also harder to park. Is it? Sometimes it doesn't look that big. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. If they can fly it out of Manhattan, then I'm sure I could keep it right here in my right. house. All right, enough of questions. All right, then. Previously on the Avenging Hour, a new Masters of Evil lineup tried to challenge the team. Then Hawkeye and Ant-Man tackled the Taskmaster at a carnival. And now, episode 100. We've hit 100 episodes. That's pretty amazing. That's what we should have talked about. Stupid question. Because you and I were just talking. Let's start over. Hey, um, Jay- Avenging Hour, Jason, John. Hey, John, what's going on? This is our 100th episode. You know, it's funny because we were just uh, talking about this before the show that we've, in in two years, because basically at, at our 100th episode, we're almost two years in, a little less than two years, because that's how math works. And we've covered 20 years almost of this title, but that's going to slow down appreciably. We yeah. were looking at the list, and as we hit the 80s, because pretty much for the past 20 years, it's just been the Avengers with an occasional annual or giant size. For the next, it's, now that we're in the 80s, we start getting West Coast Avengers and Solo Avengers, and in the 90s, you have a ton of one-shots and stuff, and then you get into the, into the aughts, and, and the Avengers go basis. crazy. Yeah. We do okay for the 80s. It's just... It's mostly West Coast Avengers and then Solo Avengers for a little while. Yeah. And then it kind of dies down again. And then what, late 90s? It, and a lot of the 90s stuff. collector's craze. Everything's got a foil cover. Yes. But the nice thing about that is most of what came out in the 90s weren't series. They were one shots. And so, most of them were just big fight scenes that were ugly and difficult yeah. to figure out what was going on. Yeah. The Crossing has, I don't know how many, but they won't take long to go through. Yeah. Anyway, so, so we will slow down. Well, unfortunately, we won't be moving time-wise as quickly through the books. But it'll be more interesting. We'll have a we'll have a varied books. It will be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. It'll give everybody a chance to you know ignore us for a while. <laughs> oh, they're doing West Coast Avengers. I don't care. You skip this. Uh, there's some great stuff in West Coast there Avengers until like West issue like sixty. The solo Avengers. We don't. Whatever. Solo Avengers would be interesting. They probably won't take as long. So we have an issue. We have three oh, issues here. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, let's start with issue two twenty four. That seems like a good thing since that's the next one. Uh, October 1982, plotted by Jim Shooter, with script by Alan Zelenetz, and art by Mark Bright. Do we want to talk about these people before we get started or not? Yeah. Alan Zelenetz wrote a handful of comics for Marvel, including Marvel Fanfare, Master of Kung Fu, Thor, and Moon Knight. He co-created Alien Legion for the epic imprint, 
And he also did some work on the Conan and Call titles, the various different Conans and Conquerors and Barbarians. He left comics to become a junior high school principal and later a movie producer. It's an interesting career path. <laughs> Comic book writer to principal to producer. Yeah, evidently he was friends with uh, Darren... Darren Gandhi. No, Darren da- Aronofsky. Da- really? Yeah, he's the one that did Pi, right? Yeah, wait, Alan Zelenitz did Pi? He was a producer. Was he really? I believe so. Interesting. Yeah, as far as comics go, Alan Zelenitz isn't really that important as a whole to the comics industry, though he... Unless we move on to a What If podcast, I'm pretty sure this is the only time we're going to see his work. Or a uh, Alien Legion podcast. Alien Legion. Would we include the TV show? I've never read it or seen it. Huh. Uh, And Mark Bright, also known as M.D. Bright or Doc Bright, was born in 1955 and grew up in New Jersey. His first work at Marvel was the 1983 Falcon miniseries with Christopher Priest. Was he known as Jim Owsley back then? Yes. And now he's just Priest, I think. Uh, He then joined Priest for a run on Power Man and Iron Fist. We will also see his work coming up on Solo Avengers and Annual 17. He also worked extensively on G.I. Joe, Green Lantern, Iron Man, Action Comics Weekly, Icon, and Quantum and Woody. After 20 years in the business, Bright turned to storyboarding for film and television. I like Mark Bright's art. I find his people, especially in his later work, to be a little round. Everyone's very... Bright bright and happy? Faces are very round. That's an odd thing to focus on. I know, I know. I don't dislike his art, and he's a great storyteller. Uh, apparently, he does storyboarding now. That's pretty much the essence of being a good storyteller. Yeah, you would think he'd probably have to be pretty good at that. All right. Well, we got that down. Okay, this issue is called Two from the Heart. In midtown Manhattan, a subway train derailment has caused a collapsed tunnel and a gas main break, and only the Avengers can rescue the trapped travelers. Showing some startling teamwork, our heroes quickly scoop up the confused commuters and even brace a teetering tenement building from collapsing. Wasp thanks everyone for their help and is immediately swarmed by the press. Captain America is angry that the media keep asking Jan about Hank Pym. Iron Man is angry that he hadn't noticed sooner how good Jan looks in skin-tight spandex. Later, in suburban Long Island, Scott Lang is angry at himself for not trying to help Hank Pym after the sociopathic scientist gave him his blessing to take over the Ant-Man identity. Scott Lang decides that now is the time for Ant-Man to orchestrate a prison break. He visits Pym in his cell, but the tortured biotech wizard explains that he'd rather clear his good name than go through life as a fugitive from justice. And thus ends the most interesting part of this issue. Next up, Tony Stark decides to kick up his feet at a fancy duplex he owns overlooking the East River, where he has an unobstructed view of the mob victim corpses floating by like ships passing in the night. For some reason, our new writer finds it important to introduce us to Felix, Tony Stark's chef, and some woman identified only as Maria, who seems to wander around the house aimlessly. Felix tells Tony that Mrs. Arbogast called to remind him of some party tonight. Tony learns that Jan will be there and decides it's a good time to go flirting. The two beautiful rich white people dance to a Billy Joel ballad, exchange pleasantries over a drink, champagne for the lady, orange crush for the recovering lush, and take a helicopter back to her place for some smoochy smoochy on the front porch. The kiss somehow turns into a weekend in Jamaica, then a night out in the village with a theater show and a street carnival, then a cup of coffee before a discreet return to Jan's place. When Tony arrives back home, he finds Captain America waiting for him, like an angry dad waiting up for the daughter to come home. (laughs) Cap plops down the latest issue of People Magazine with Jan and Tony's whirlwind fling plastered on the cover and scolds Stark for not thinking about Hank or what it will mean when Jan finds out that Tony is also Iron Man. After nearly returning to the bottle for some solace, Tony instead sleeps on it, and the next day, Iron Man reveals his identity to Wasp. The romance is over, and our closing image is Hank Pym stewing over the fact that Iron Man dumped his ex-wife. The end. That was a quick write-up. Wait till the next one I have to do. Uh, Roll call for this issue. Iron Man, Wasp, She-Hulk, Hawkeye, Thorn, Captain America. We see Ant-Man and Hank Pym. We meet Tony Stark's Mexican manservant, Felix. 
We see Stark's copter pilot, TC. Wait, wrong show. That's actually Jim Rhodes. Egghead reads the newspaper, and our villain is poor judgment. Do you have a write-up on Jim? (laughs) (laughs) Did you do a write-up on Jim Rhodes? I did. Uh, The only one of the new characters that matters is James Rhodey Rhodes, who first appeared in Iron Man number 118 in January 1979. He was created by David Michelinie, Bob Layton, and John Byrne. He was retconned into Iron Man's origin story as a helicopter pilot shot down over Vietnam who helped Stark escape. Stark offered him a job as his personal pilot, which he eventually accepted after running out of employment options. He will become very important to the Avengers very soon. Yeah, very, very soon. Very, very, very soon. Very soon, like in like very soon. six issues, I think. <laughs> so. So, things happened. Not much, but things. She-Hulk can apparently hold up an entire building by herself. That does not seem possible. Captain America is so cute. As you mentioned, he's all upset because the press is bothering Jan. And he says, The press deserves every bit of freedom, Iron Man. But reporters ought to recognize when they've gone beyond the bounds of legitimate news. <laughs> this seems- Captain America, fake news. This seems so, uh, well, it seems so quaint because all they're doing is asking about her ex-husband, who is a convicted felon. And that would be, well, actually, I guess he's not convicted. He's awaiting trial. He's in jail. Yeah, well, you can be in jail awaiting trial. On Rikers, even. You know, that's kind of funny now we mentioned. It's a we weird know, place to put someone who's awaiting trial. We know he's not convicted yet because we're going to get to his trial in a few issues. So if he's not convicted, would they not allow him bail? I guess they consider him a flight risk, maybe? Yeah, but a really teeny tiny flight risk. <laughs> or did they offer bail, but he couldn't afford it, and no one else would put up the money. <laughs> he tried to call Iron Man again, and he didn't answer the phone. Uh, hello? <laughs> no hable inglés. That's why you hired Felix. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I just thought that was cute. Because anymore, the press, the press, this issue with Jan seems positively generous. Now they would be ripping her to shreds. Well, she's a woman. They'd also, yeah, they'd be saying, what about your ex-husband and why have you gained weight? Why did you drive Hank Pym crazy? That's what they would be asking her. Because she's a woman. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Scott Lang is so angry. Scott Lang is in his house watching television and Marvel decides to put in a plug for their, because apparently on the TV, we talked last issue about last issue, last episode, about advertising comics on TV. Well, in Scott Lang's world, they're advertising the Pope John Paul II comic book that Marvel did on TV. (laughs) It was a nice way to get a plug-in for your Pope comic. Tony Stark, Man About Town, is drinking something at home that's green. If this was like two years later, I'd say it was maybe like ectoplasmic Kool-Aid. No, no, go back. Um, Wait, do we know what it is? Felix tells Maria to get him a drink. He just says, get him get him something without alcohol. <laughs> so apparently she had some Kool-Aid in the back or some Gatorade. It's just sour mix from a margarita. <laughs> like, no alcohol in it. <laughs> Sorry, that's all he had. He hasn't been to this place since he quit drinking. <laughs> Just a, either that or olive juice. I kind of felt like, oh, sure, Cap, now you get involved. You weren't involved when Hank Pym needed your help. You decided to hey, court-martial him and put him on trial. He's learned the lesson that Jarvis taught him. Well, now, and see, this is where... I think. I don't remember what Jarvis taught him. <laughs> this is where... Well, what Jarvis basically said was, some people want a big brother to watch over them to make sure that they succeed. And that's not the American dream. And other people, you just have to watch them fail and laugh at them. Yes, basically. That's what Jarvis said. And I realize now why that one of the many reasons that so bothers me, and I complained about it at the time, but watching Cap here, I realize that what bothers me is the fact that Hank Pym didn't fail because he wasn't good enough to be a superhero. Hank Pym failed because he's mentally ill and needs help. 
You know, it's it's a, it's an illness, and it's frustrating that they just treat it as well. You're weak, so you went crazy. It's very much not the way we treat mental ill. Well, yeah, unfortunately, it is a little bit the way we treat mental illness today. But I, I think it's becoming a little different. I think some people are beginning to understand that. So I don't understand why Captain America is scolding Tony Stark because Tony Stark's already successful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure what lesson he learned there. I have no other comments on this issue. Um, my, it's <laughs> completely nitpicking because I like to do this in reference to She-Hulk holding up that building by herself, which doesn't make any sense because of, you know, physics, s- center of gravity, any of that yeah. stuff. I, um, to help her hold the building, <laughs> Hawkeye fires buzzsaw arrows at two light posts. And they help up with the building because light posts if, are known for their strength. He even mentions that they're probably hollow. My problem is that he shot an arrow at them with a saw blade on it and it sawed through the post. Well, yeah, my feeling would Wouldn't be- that arrow have just hit the post and bounced off or stuck in it? Or There's no way it's going to have momentum to go through the... That's stupid. Look, I'm willing to I'm willing to say he could shoot a buzzsaw arrow and cut them down. But if you can cut them down with a buzzsaw arrow, they're really not going to hold up that building. <laughs> right? I don't care what kind of leverage you put in there. Ah, that was my only note. Uh, bullpen bulletins? Uh, during the move to their new offices, an old bullpen phone list was discovered that included Godfather writer Mario Puzo on it. I thought that was kind of interesting. I did not realize he wrote for Marvel. Yeah, very briefly. Yeah, what did he write? Uh, he wrote Captain America. Did he give, a, uh, give him an offer he couldn't refuse? <laughs> exactly. I don't remember what happened. I don't know what he wrote. I'm willing to bet you he doesn't put it on his resume. Jim Shooter notes that while they may not be able to answer all the mail they receive, he wants readers to know that he insists that all mail be read by the person it is addressed to. I thought that was kind of cool to know. So if I address it to Spider-Man, Spider-Man will read it? Spider-Man will be forced to read it. He will hold him at gunpoint. And they make a preliminary announcement that they are launching an epic comics line. I, I don't know if it'll be epic. It'll probably be okay. Seems a little presumptuous. Letters page, anything on there? Adam Montgomery of Merriam, Kansas, thinks that issue 220 against Moondragon was perhaps the Avengers' greatest battle. And I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> against one of their own. I, it wasn't really much of a battle, was it? Well, there was a great fight against Thor, but I'm not sure that I would consider fighting one of your own members the greatest battle you've ever had. Didn't Wasp punch her in the face? The, yeah, well, the that's what I mean. character that lost to a tree branch and a, <laughs> and a door? <laughs> yeah, yes. Wasp punched the amazing martial artist in the face. Right, the one who's aware of every Everything. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. And they announced that Jim Shooter is officially off the title as writer. Stephen Grant will do a two-issue story, and then Roger Stern takes over. Roger Stern! Who? We love Roger Stern. Yes, we do. Best Avengers writer ever. I, I'm sorry to all of you Avenger writers who I love, but aren't Roger Stern. What is your... Anything else? No. MVP. I gave it to Cap for bringing Tony Stark out of the clouds. I gave it to the Wasp because she's the backbone of the story. Useless character? Thor. <laughs> Is Thor even in this one? I give it to Iron Man. He's such a jerk. (laughs) Best quote. It's the mustaches. Does it every time. I went with, don't worry, fella. After all these years of archery practice, I've got a bow grip like iron. So you picked a paragraph taken out of context. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Avengers level threat? No. Yeah, there's no really threat here. (laughs) Wait, is love a threat? Final grade. I give it a C minus. It's a little too soap opera-ish for me. Ouch. I give it a B. It is a soap opera, but I think it's a good, I still like the character work. You're wrong. Fair enough. (laughs) Let's, and I won't argue with it. (laughs) Let's move on to issue Avengers number 225 from November of 1982. It is by Stephen Grant. Oh my goodness. Stephen's great. It is by Stephen Grant 
and Greg Roke. And it is called The Fall of Avalon. It's it's really, it takes three months. Isn't it The Falling of Avalon? No, no. This is The Fall of Avalon. It starts in September. So next to... issue is The Winter of Avalon. Yes. It's time for a regularly scheduled Avengers meeting. But when Thor comes in for a landing on the roof of the mansion, he's greeted by a security system again? Look, guys, no one has crashed through a wall in a lot of issues. I think we can stop with the scenes where we're reminded that the Avengers have security. Anyway, Thor is trapped in some sort of plastic prison and soon the rest of the team is on the roof to find out what happened <laughs> whoops <laughs> did we forget to tell thor about the new security the avengers attempt to free him but thor frees himself shattering the prison and with some harsh words to say to its inventor the wasp calms the hurt feelings and everyone heads downstairs for the meeting and by everyone we're including the figure in the blue cloak who's following the team although no one seems to notice him during the meeting the figure suddenly reveals himself to the team saying that he is dr druid the team moves to attack him but he freezes him in place with his super hypnotism borrowed from silver age superman then begins to levitate while levitating he goes into a trance and soon the room is filled with black smoke when the smoke is gone the only beings left in avengers mansion are dr druid and iron man both in a trance the rest of the team find themselves in a strange building before a man who welcomes them to avalon the team is somewhat shaken and ready to rumble when they're greeted by their long-lost teammate the black knight after a quick origin recap the black knight tells us the avengers have been brought back to the 12th century where he's been living for the past five years the avengers are all hey black knight good to see you you look great how's it going your stone body in the prison was destroyed. Hey, man, how long's it been? Is that new armor? The Black Knight is understandably upset to find out that his body in the present has been destroyed and that he's stuck in the 12th century, but the man that initially greeted the group says there's no time for that. This man, who still won't give his name, but it's Amergen, and I'm not waiting for the comic to reveal it, says that Avalon is not an island, but a realm between dimensions. It's also home to the deadly Fomor, dark monsters who wish to conquer Avalon and then use it as a base to attack Earth. The Fomor have already devastated Avalon, turning it into a charred wasteland, and that's why Amergen contacted his descendant, Dr. Druid, and together they brought the Avengers to this world. The Avengers agree to help, but they have their work cut out for them because the Fomor are magically watching the entire scene. Yes, Elethan, a bearded, golden-skinned man who leads the Fomor, is watching with the rest of his comrades. However, Sethlin, a brown-skinned woman with claws for hands, disputes Elethan's leadership and asks for a vote, which gives us an opportunity to meet the rest of our monster crew. Monster roll call. Let's see. We have Bress, the son of Elephant, who looks like a younger, clean-shaven version of his father and has second sight. Indek is some sort of yellow slime creature. Tethra has a fin on his head, so I'm guessing he's amphibious. And then there's Dolb who makes their weapons. They all vote with Elethin, so suck it, Sethlin. Sethlin insists that if they would only free her husband, Baylor, this could all be over in... No! They wail, as if Sethlin had just suggested watching all the Twilight movies in one sitting. Baylor would kill us all, friend and foe alike! Besides, Elethin says, the Fomor gathered here have got this, and he teleports the monsters away. Back at Good Guy Central, the Black Knight is all mopey about his present-day body being destroyed. Uh, wah, wah, wah. Suck it up, man. The strategy session is ended quickly, though, when the Fomor break it through the wall of the headquarters and scoop the Avengers out with some magical winds, depositing them on the ground outside and 
setting up a battle royal. The Black Knight and Amergen are the only ones left inside, and when the Black Knight rushes to help his teammates, Amergen stomps him. Apparently, Amergen has a plan that the Avengers have not been informed of. Oh well, it's battle time! Avengers v. Fomor. We learn that Elethin can control the weather when he calls down a hailstorm on the team, although it's dangerous to claim you control the weather around Thor, who zaps Elethin with a lightning bolt. Dolb throws some magical balls, which won't stop until they hit their target. Yeah. Set... <laughs> Sethlin is super strong, and Bress can shapeshift, which he does, into a flying creature that leaves the battle and heads toward where Amergen and the Black Knight are. The Black Knight engages Bress, but the Fomor knocks him out and then hypnotizes Amergen. When the Black Knight regains consciousness, he finds Bress gone and Amergen groggy. What happened? The Avengers, meanwhile, are doing pretty well against the Fomor, quickly gaining the upper hand. Elethin is even down, but he's not out, and he vows that the battle is not over yet. Sethlin agrees, because she's calling on her husband, the mighty Baylor. Suddenly a huge 40 foot tall one eyed creature is among them and when Thor and She-Hulk move to attack them he hits them with a beam and they disappear. That leaves only Cap, Wasp and Hawkeye against the Fomor and Baylor. But there's more bad news as we find out what happened to Bress. He got Amergen to send him to Avengers Mansion and now his true plan is revealed. He's going to kill Dr. Druid stranding the Avengers in Avalon and giving him free reign to rule Earth. To be continued. That sounds horrible. Our roll call this issue is Thor, Hawkeye, Captain America, Wasp, and She-Hulk. I guess Iron Man, though he's barely in the issue, and the Black Knight. The villains are Stupid Fomor, and we meet Dr. Druid. Uh, Can you tell us about each one of the Fomor, please? No. So, Dr. Druid first appeared in Amazing Adventures number one, which was in June of 1961. And I know what you're thinking. John, you're thinking, 1961, that's before there was a Marvel Universe. Well, that's right. He predates the MU proper. Did he just go back in time? Originally, he was known as Dr. Droom. A much better name. Is that what two use? And he was reintroduced in the 1970s in Weird Wonder Tales with his new name and his new origin, which is Dr. Anthony Druid, a psychiatrist who knows the occult and was trained by a Tibetan lama that had come to America for medical treatment. We eventually find out that that lama was actually the ancient one who was using Dr. Druid as kind of a test run for Dr. Strange to make sure he figured out how to do this whole training an American thing. I didn't realize that the ancient one could shapeshift into the shape of a llama. <laughs> it was just like uh, Emperor's New Groove. Uh, anyway, Druid became a superhero, but he's kind of been skirting around the edges of the Marvel Universe without really getting into the thick of it, but we'll see him. We'll be seeing him more in the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, he knows a little magic, but he's kind of more of a telepath. He can read minds, mesmerize people, turn invisible and do some illusions. He doesn't really turn invisible but he makes people he clouds their minds so they can't see him like the shadow he's more like a street magician like david blaine yes uh, we'll see him in a, when he joins the team he's always uh, trying to get the villains to cut him in half when he's, he's in a box he's so. very moody he does he can levitate things he has some minor precognitive abilities i like dr druid but i know i'm in the minority I like Dr. Druid. He's really weird. I don't think he he will eventually join the team, but he's does not fit with the team. Uh, two other things I'll, I'll mention, and then I don't have any notes, and you can take it away. Avalon is a legendary island that's from the Arthurian legends. Uh, that's where Excalibur was forged. It's, it's a legendary island from the legends? Yes. Wow. It's where Excalibur was forged and where Arthur coalesced after almost dying during one of the great battles. Coalesced? No. <laughs> It's where Arthur... It's where he came together. <laughs> it's where Arthur... Oh my god, what's the word? It's where Arthur rested and got better. You see, he was all these individual little droplets. And no one's... It... I'm going to cut your mic. The Fomor <laughs> are super... The Fomor are actual supernatural. Actual. They're actual monsters. I swear from... to god, I just saw them. They are from Irish mythology. 
Oh, really? Yes. Um, are, are they actual names from... Well, their king is named Elitha, okay. which they just added an end to it for some reason. Considered Usually considered a moon god. And his son was named Bress. Baelor was around. His wife, though, was named Seth Len, not Seth Lan, as she is in this comic. They didn't want to get sued by the uh, and Teth- Irish, Irish folklore. <laughs> well, it's weird, because <laughs> Tethra and Amergen are also part of the mythology. No Dolb or Indec that I could find anything about. I believe Dolb is just a shortened version of Dim Bulb. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird to me is that they do, they make mild changes to Elitha and Seth Len's name, but then they don't change other names. And I'm like, it's quite possible that someone just spelled them wrong and then it just stayed that way. <laughs> it's not like we haven't seen that before. Anyway, that's all I got. Take it away. So the very beginning of the story, Thor lands on the roof of the mansion and he's attacked by the security system that sprays him with plastanium and it changes from a mist to a solid almost immediately. It seems rather useful, but I can't find any mention of it ever coming up again. It's And Tony Stark invented it. I'm not. I'm it, kind of at a loss because it seems like they should be using it on and on in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those cases of having a writer who was never a regular writer on the book come up with an idea and nobody else ever picked it up and ran with it. You're right, it makes sense. What doesn't make sense is them not telling Thor. He's before the meeting. Iron Man's like, we were going to tell you at the meeting. Well, maybe you should tell people before they come into the building that they may have trouble coming into the building. <laughs> Perhaps you should have told him at the last meeting. Yeah. Dr. Druid apparently has super hypnotism. Yes. Which is a step above regular hypnotism. Just like Silver Age Superman. Super hypnotism. He looks like he has super hypnotism. It sounds very 1960s. Look at those eyeballs. He's a crazy man. Where did the Black Knight get wings for his helmet? Did he have to earn them like a Boy Scout patch? Oh, those wings? He didn't have those before. They're like bat wings, aren't they? Well, they ask him about his armor, yeah. which is mostly the same except for the bat wings. Yeah, I think so, isn't it? Is Wasp hitting on Dane while the old guy explains what's going on? She's not even paying attention. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And yes, that's why we like the Wasp. My note about the foam war is so many weird creatures and so many stupid names. We get introduced to them all and... And they, they announce their plan, and Dolb, the weapons maker, tells Elephant to lead them to the slaughter. I don't <laughs> think that was phrased correctly. <laughs> yeah. Phrasing. Lead us to the slaughter. I feel like I'm reading an episode of Thundar the Barbarian. And Cap got his shield stuck in something again. He threw it at, what's the thing's name? Uh, the slime monster one? I don't care about this issue. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I have nothing to... Nothing. All right. Do you have anything in the bullpen bulletins? Jim Starlin's Dreadstar will be the first epic comics release. Oh, I have read an epic comic because I read Dreadstar. Did some you, of it. You read uh, Gru, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I did read Gru. That was an epic for a while. When we do our Gru podcast. I would do a Gru, except I sold all mine. Mm. Yeah, I don't have mine either. Uh, the checklist includes Vision and Scarlet Witch limited series number one, which we will be discussing soon. Any letters? We're told that this month's and next month's columns will be devoted to reactions to the lineup change. And as far as I can tell, everyone is happy that Hawkeye's back. The special announcements section talks about Amazing Spider-Man Annual, scripted by Roger Stern and featuring the debut of Captain Marvel. We'll be talking about that shortly as well. Next episode. And we'll be talking about the Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries, as you mentioned, next episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. MVP. Well, the obvious answer is Thor, because he's best suited for this type of fight. But I think I might go with Wasp for helping out where she can and displaying some measure of strength and confidence. I went with Thor. <laughs> As you should. We're never going to get on the same page. Useless we, character? We did, what, like two weeks ago, I think we had the same. We gave the same grade and the same MVP, I think. Uh, useless character. Uh, surprisingly, She-Hulk. I don't feel like she did anything. I picked Iron Man, who truly doesn't do anything useful. He manages to capture one of his own team members and then stands in a corner. <laughs> I did I tried not to use him because he didn't do anything. Best quote taken out of context? My Tathlum balls are magical. <laughs> <laughs> I picked, in case you hadn't noticed... That thing's quavering. Because my Teflon balls are magical. <laughs> Avengers level threat? I think so. Oh, yeah. As much as I don't like them or care about them, they are an Avengers level threat. They're especially s- if you throw Baylor in. They're strong. They're magic-based. Yeah. They're cross-dimensional. Yeah, no doubt. Final grade? 
despite all that, I gave it a C plus. I didn't like it at first because of all the dumb characters, but I feel like it was actually plotted pretty well. Yeah, I gave it a B minus. I, I don't hate the issue. I don't care about the former as villains, but I'm just happy to see the Black Knight back. And Dr. Druid. Yes, yes, yes. Well, wow, we've only got one more to go. Oh, God, we have to do another one? Well, this one's really short, so this is our glorified fight scene to end it all. Issue 226, December of 1982. Oh, we're through another year already. Stephen Grant and Greg LaRocque. This one is called An Eye for an Eye. Picking up where we left off last issue, Brez has traveled back to present-day Earth through the smoggy chest of Dr. Druid and is about to murder everyone and take over the world. But since he's a comic book bad guy, he decides to take a few panels to describe just exactly how he's going to conduct his takeover, and that's just long enough for Thor and She-Hulk to pop back into existence and attempt to stop him. Apparently, the zappy power of Baylor's eye disrupts magic spells, and since Thor and She-Hulk were sent to Avalon by magic, they were instantly brought back to Earth. Brez uses his nebulous and random magic powers to blast She-Hulk aside and wrest the hammer from Thor's hand. As the Thunder God and the fiendish Fomor wrestle, She-Hulk smartly picks up the frozen Iron Man and hurdles him like a spear at Brez's back. This stuns the villain and enables Thor to crumple him with one punch. <laughs> that panel's actually great where Thor punches him. Uh, now it's a waiting game to see if the other Avengers can survive without their most powerful members. To that end, we return to Avalon as Baylor is still blasting everything in sight. Hawkeye fires a smoke arrow at the creature's solitary eyeball, which confuses it long enough for Black Knight to fly up into his face and take a swipe with his ebony blade. Baylor's too powerful, though, and manages to knock Dane off his flying steed. Hawkeye fires two parachute arrows, which work how exactly, to rescue the falling knight, and the team escapes to regroup. The other Fomor are surprised to see Baylor, but soon convince him that he will do well to fight by their side once again. Meanwhile, in Amrigan's castle, the druid informs the team that they've done exactly what he intended in forcing the Fomor to release Baylor. I feel like I'm speaking another language. Now all they have to do is harness his energy inside the evil eye and oops wait a minute Amrigan gets popped away to defend against the advancing evil he starts zapping Baylor's face off but is defenseless <laughs> against the wrath of Elephant until the Avengers arrive and the fight is on everyone goes toe to toe again until Elephant manages to zap Amrigan in the back the druid is helpless to stop the leader of the Fomor as he saps all of his magic and energy from him things look pretty grim until the Black Knight steps in and deflects Elephant's blast with his mighty ebony blade. While the two sides battle it out, Baylor reaches for the evil eye, mumbling about getting his power back. He jams the ancient artifact into his face and explodes. In the aftermath, both sides rush towards the Earth portal and start fighting again. This time, the Fomor gain the upper hand and are about to step through the portal when the Black Knight zaps them back with the evil eye. He then releases the rest of the power from the evil eye and everything explodes. The only thing left on the now-restored Avalon is the skeleton of the Black Knight with the evil eye lying beside beside him. Somehow, the Avengers are transported back to the mansion, and Dr. Druid shows them one last trick. With the last bit of his magic power, Amrigan restores the crumbled Black Knight statue and returns Dane Whitman to his old body in the present, and everyone lived happily ever after. The end. I don't understand what just happened. <laughs> Our roll call for this issue is Thor, She-Hulk, Wasp, Hawkeye, Captain America, and I guess Iron Man. We see Black Knight, Dr. Druid, and Amrigan, and our villains are once again the Fomor. She-Hulk uses Iron Man as a weapon, as you mentioned, uh, awesome. again. Yeah, I think I, after Rogue did it and She-Hulk's done it, I'm beginning to believe that the way I like Iron Man best is when he's immobile and being used as a weapon by other characters. I just wish that he could talk while it was happening. <laughs> so he could be like, oh, what are you doing? Ah. I feel so bad for the Black Knight's horse when the Avengers flee the field. Uh, the Black Knight's horse carries Captain America, Hawkeye, and the Black Knight. Two of those characters wearing armor. Captain America theoretically wearing chainmail and the Black Knight wearing actual armor. That's a lot of weight to put 
put on that poor horse's back. I was worried about him. I it is if, a flying horse, though. I would assume it's probably stronger than most horses. Can you explain to me what happened in this issue? Well, I have a few things I would say. First of all, I would say that Amarjin's a moron. Amarjin doesn't make any sense what he's doing. His plan is pointless. Why would he not just tell the Avengers the plan? They make a big deal last issue and this issue about how the, everything was going according to plan, but it was a plan we didn't tell the Avengers. Why not? If you told the Avengers, if you told the Avengers, I have I have to absorb power or do whatever it was Amarjin was doing, then they were just using the Avengers to buy time. I believe the Avengers would have been like, we can do that. Or, or we can draw this thing out of hiding that you're trying to find. Yeah, and then they could have worked as a team rather than... And, you know, if he just said something like, hey, you know, the Baylor, watch out because his his eye disrupts magic, that kind of stuff, it would have been important for them to know. But instead, the Avengers aren't able to plan for anything because Amarjin won't tell them anything. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of him. Well, he's dead now, so. Good. Or he was dead centuries ago. I'm not sure how that works. I don't have any other notes. I clearly don't have any notes. My write-up was less than a page. I'm just trying to understand how... I don't understand the sequence of events in this fight. Amarjin takes most of Baylor's power yes. into the evil eye. And then he gets struck in the back by Elephant, who then saps Amrigan's power from him. And then Baylor, while Amrigan and Elephant are doing whatever they're doing, Baylor picks up the evil eye and touches it to his eyeball, and he explodes. And then everybody rushes from that spot to the portal, and they're met at the portal by the Black Knight who has the evil eye. Who? But the evil eye was back at the other place. How did any of that happen? I'm sorry, are you talking to me? And the evil eye clearly can't explode because it explodes or it releases its energy twice and it stays in one piece, but everything else dies around it it's magic this is the same evil eye that we had during the avengers defenders war right yes where did that end up do you remember they gave it to amarjan i don't know where it ended up well it's kind of a running theme with us we remember with the wonder gore mountain when that whole thing happened with khan and they were ended up with the Darkhold. Yes. And it's... We but we know what happened that to that. at Avengers Mansion. Yeah, because Doctor Strange takes it. What happened to the evil eye? We don't remember? You probably give that to Doctor Strange, too. I would have thought Doctor it. Strange would have had it, but how did it end up on Avalon? And now is it on Avalon forever? Do we ever see the evil forever? eye? Forever? Forever, ever? I don't know. So many unanswered questions. I'm so excited to learn the answers to. <laughs> I have an unanswered question. Do you have any notes on the bullpen bulletins page? You can tell how much I don't care about this issue. Sorry, I should try to engage you in these questions, no, but I really, really don't bad. care. Stan Lee does a guest column where he announces some good and some bad. First, NBC will host the return of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and the Incredible Hulk cartoon debuts as well. And then the bad news, CBS Saturday mornings will sadly be showing Pandemonium and Meatballs and Spaghetti, Me- two shows I've never heard of in my life. I don't know Pandemonium, but I remember Meatballs and Spaghetti. Ironically, <laughs> Did most- they hate CBS? <laughs> yeah, you can have these two shows. I swear they're going to be great. Ironically, most of the Marvel production shows are not Marvel characters. I don't understand no. that. I never have. Uh, Roger Stern got married. The ceremony was held at the house of a comic book store owner in Ithaca, New York. That guy probably has some pretty cool stories to tell, if he's still alive. <laughs> and, and Roger Stern's best man was John Byrne. Yeah. We know John Byrne. He's been on this book. They put a picture in the in the issue of the, but the picture is so horrible that you can't tell who anybody is. I think they apologize for that next week. They will apologize for it, and and they'll be like, "Sorry about that. Our, our bad. That was supposed to be bigger." You can tell which one Jim Shooter is though, because he's he's so tall that he's cropped out of the back of the photo. Anything else there? No. But the letters page. Uh, Rick Jones wrote a letter. Do you think it's the same guy? <laughs> Cap, why won't you return my calls? <laughs> they don't answer letters on this page. Oh, right. This is like the second month of the, hey, everybody loves Hawkeye. They're like, we can't answer the, the letters because we don't have room, but they take a quarter of the page up with an ad for Vision in the Scarlet Witch's limited series. <laughs> so obviously they have some room. And then they have a big column announcing, to, hey, don't forget about that Captain Marvel and Amazing Spider-Man annual. I do have to say I enjoyed the um, letter from the Bova family 
fan club from Mays, Kansas. They want Bova as the next female Avengers. And I actually kind of made me, well, it amused me. You have no sense of humor. Yeah, that's that's my problem. <laughs> they say that She-Hulk may have the power, but Bova has the looks. I don't know. It amused me. So All who's right. your MVP? Captain America, because he keeps everyone's spirits up. Oh, when things look up. dim. <laughs> you have to give it to Black Knight. He saved everybody. I don't have to give it to anybody. Who is your useless character? Thor. How did that guy take his hammer away from him? Iron Man. Though he does make an effective missile weapon. I actually thought he was pretty useful in this one. Best quote taken out of context. I can handle these two. I went with, do it, do it! Avengers level threat. Again. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Perhaps. They still are. Final grade. I gave it a B because the Black Knight's back. I gave it a, a B as well, and I know that we didn't have much to say about this issue, and we keep saying we don't like the film more. But at the end of the day, it's a fun It's a fun quick read. It's not a bad issue, and I, like you, I'm really glad that the Black Knight is back. Yeah, it's just a big fight scene and the Black Knight's back. Before we go, we should mention, we should talk a little bit about this. This, uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries that they keep talking about because there's a couple of important things that happen there. Uh, the Vision and the Scarlet Witch limited series, this is a four-issue limited series written by Bill Mantlo and drawn by Rick Leonardi. Are you going to do the first issue and then I'll recap the second one and then the, no? No, we're just going to talk about them. Well, forget this paper and I don't need Do that. you actually have no, You I'm don't. Just <laughs> I'm just doing sound effects, man. Come on. Fully work. Uh, so basically, you know, we know that the Vision of Skull which left the team back in issue 210 or whatever. And they've been living in Leonia, New Jersey. Leonia? Leonia, New Jersey. In this four-issue limited series, in the first issue, Jarvis helps them fight a ghost. It's not important. Well, I'm glad you brought it up then. In the second issue, though, Wanda and the Vision help her father, the, the wizard? wizard, try to get custody of Nuclo. And they end up finding Isbissa, a golden age enemy of the wizard. Wait, we met him before, didn't we? No, we never met Isbissa. Well, we talked about him, though. I don't think we did. We did? Um, well, you may have. No, we did. I was ignoring We you. did when Nuclo showed up before. I was ignoring you. Told the whole story. The important thing here is there are two things that happen. The the less important, because it gets reversed pretty quickly, is that Nuclo ends the issue depowered. No longer a radioactive threat. But I'm pretty sure that that doesn't last. And of course, the more important thing here, this issue, is that the wizard has a heart attack during the fight and dies. Yeah, another heart attack? So we should probably mention that since the wizard was a supporting character in this book for quite a while back in the like 160 to 180. 80 type range he won't be back he's dead so nuclo's scarlet witch's brother right well that's what they thought when they thought wizard was her father yeah, but right. now they know that's not the case in the third issue they fight the grim reaper it's not important in the fourth issue the also in issue number two when the vision like a schmuck tries to phase his hand as he does he tries to phase it through i don't know if it's this bissa or nuclo one of the radioactive people it burns his hand it burns his arm off down to the past the elbow or up past the elbow so in trying issue number three when they're front of the grim reapers about them trying to repair him and give him his arm back they have trouble doing that so in issue number four they, they go just, they just cut off grim reaper's arm and stick it on there <laughs> <laughs> they take one of jocasta's old arms like here take this one probably extras laying around in issue number four to get the, the the arm fixed they go up to the moon to get the Inhumans <laughs> as you do <laughs> they, they ask the Inhumans because if the Inhumans are known for anything it's their cybernetic abilities yes and while they're on the moon I don't know if they're aware of this but Hank Pym minored in cybernetics <laughs> right they, they do know some of well you know Hank Pym he's in jail but I'm sure Tony Stark could have helped uh, while they're on the moon they are visited by Magneto and this is finally the issue where they reveal that Magneto is the father to Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch something that they have hinted at and blatantly said said in letters columns but never had actually got around to putting in a story so that's it magneto huh so two important things from this limited series wizard dead magneto dad <laughs> wizard also not dad yes dead not dad magneto dad is my new idea for a sitcom magneto dad he's the dad that's attractive get it <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, that took me a minute. Also, get out. <laughs> so, do we want to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number? Why don't we talk about the beginning of the next of the next episode? Because that makes the most sense. Because Okey-dokey. then we go right into. Oh, because that person that's in there is yeah. in there. All right then. On our next episode, a new character joins the team. Weird, weren't we just talking about that? Wasp has brunch. Yellow Jacket gets a psych evaluation before his trial, and we're smothered in flashbacks. We are. I got, we really are. I got to write that up. It was a quick write-up. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to get in touch with us, our email is mail at avenginghour.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at avenginghour. You can look at our Facebook page that's pretty much an amalgamation of all that stuff, and we have a website, avenginghour.com. We sure do. All once, that. Once again, thanks for listening, everyone. Yep, yep, yep. Bye.